ghoulish greetings, everybody. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers Podcast part of your day. Those amazing tunes that just blessed your old ears comes from the lovely Bobby Mackey. And of course, I am your host, Tessa Morrow. I must mention, I am at my mom's house right now. So if you hear a cock-a-doodle-doo in the background or something of that sort, well, I'm on a ranch. So there you go. The man walks into the room and is surprised to hear laughter and cheers and people saying happy birthday. He looks around and sees several friends and family members and just cannot help but smile. He shakes his head and laughs. Oh, you guys, you got me. His mother walks up to her son, a birthday cake in her hands with two candles, a two and an eight. She pats him on the shoulder and says, make a wish, sweetie. He's 28 years old, but, you know, it's mom, so he does as he's told. He's a good boy. He looks around the room again and is just so grateful to be surrounded by so much love and happiness. Well, today you're going to hear about several people who did not get to do that, celebrate their 28th birthday. We're going to hear about several individuals. They all have one terrifying thing in common. They all died at the young age of 27, forever being part of the 27 Club curse, never to see 28, leaving behind a trail of heartbroken families, depressed and devastated fans, and the music they loved and respected and put their hearts into so much. Enter the 27 Club. The date of death. January 17th, 1892. The first known musician to join the 27th Club, Alexander Levy, was a composer, a pianist, and conductor from Brazil. He was born into music. His father owned a concert venue and a sheet music store, so I think it would be really appropriate to say that music was a kind of in his blood. He makes his very first musical appearance at the age of eight. And if that's not impressive enough, he begins to publish his very own compositions at the age of 16. Alexander's cause of death remains unknown to this very day. The date of death, March 26, 1908. Louis Chauvin was a ragtime musician. He was adored by many, and he was considered the finest pianist in St. Louis during his time. Very impressive. Now, at the time of his death, he had only published three compositions. He dies in Chi-Town, the death certificate stating multiple cirrhosis, probably syphilitic. He sadly starves due to being in a coma. Like, oh my God, how horrible is that? You're in this coma. You have no control of feeding yourself or, you know, quenching your thirst or whatever. And you starve to death. Oh my God, that would be horrible. The date of death, April 23rd, 1915. Rupert Brooke, he was an English poet. He wrote many pieces during the First World War. He's probably best known for his writing, The Soldier. And it reads, quote, If I should die, think only this of me, that there is some corner of a foreign field that is forever England. 
There shall be in that rich earth a richer dust concealed, a dust whole England bore, shaped, made aware, gave once her flowers to love, her ways to roam, a body of England's, breathing English air, washed by the rivers, blessed by sons of home, and think this heart all evil sheds away, a pulse in the eternal mind, no less gives somewhere back the thought by England given, her sights and sounds, dream happy as her day and laughter learnt of friends and gentleness, and hearts at peace under an English heaven. Unquote. Brooke serves with the British Army, and while he is stationed in Egypt, he develops a severely horrific case of gastroenteritis. It's then followed by streptotocal sepsis, the latter being from a mosquito bite that he had suffered from which got infected. Lady Luck was definitely not on this gentleman's side, and he dies of septicema. He dies on a French hospital ship while in Greece, and it was ordered that the body depart the ship immediately, as it was Custom, it was impossible to just bring back the remains back to his family, so he is buried just a few hours after his death in an olive grove in Skyros, Greece. William Dennis Brown, who was a dear, dear friend of Brooks and was a composer, a pianist, and an organist, wrote this when it comes to his poor friend's death. Quote, I sat with Rupert. At four o'clock, he became weaker. And at 4.46 he died, with the sun shining all around his cabin, and the cool sea breeze blowing through the door and the shaped windows. No one could ever wish for a quieter or a calmer end than in that lovely bay, shielded by the mountains and fragrant with sage and thyme. The Date of Death August 16, 1938. Robert Johnson was a blues musician and a songwriter. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame says that he was the first ever rock star. Well, one evening after a show in Mississippi, he excuses himself as he's just not feeling great, and he's taken to a friend's house who lived nearby the bar that he was performing at. He will be dead by morning. His body is found. The cause of death remains unknown. It's rumored that Robert Johnson himself made a pact with the devil. Now, you see, it was his dream, his goal in life, his mission to become the ultimate blues player. He was told one night to go to a crossroad near Dockery Plantation. It was a cotton plantation with a sawmill, basically right on the Sunflower River. He was told to go alone and with his guitar. It is here at the crossroads by the plantation, right on the Sunflower River, that the young man meets with a tall black man. The mysterious stranger asks for the guitar, in which he tunes it ever so perfectly. This man was believed to be the devil. He tests out the guitar and he plays several different songs. And once he's satisfied, he hands the guitar back to Robert. And this exchange is believed to be the pact. For his soul. He would do wonderful things. He would be a fantastic musician. And that he was. Just not for as long as he would have hoped, I imagine. 
The date of death, August 5th, 1945. Nat Hafey was a swing jazz pianist who received classical training on the piano in Berlin for 11 years. He starts in 1921, ending in 1932. Music? It was in his bones. He absolutely adored it. It was his life. He breathed music. He also did plenty of solo things. In his short life, he accomplished so much. He played with Billie Holiday, recording with Louis Armstrong, Jack Teagarden, and Sarah Vaughn. Nat dies as a result of complications from high blood pressure. The date of death, February 6th, 1960. Jesse Belvin was a man of many talents. He was a pianist, a songwriter, and a singer. He was very popular during the 1950s. Well, one fateful night, Jesse performs at a concert in Little Rock, Arkansas. It was a show that had actually been stopped two times, possibly more, due to white supremacy. After the show, he, along with his wife Joanne and their driver, get into Jesse's 1959 Cadillac and they drive off. Well, you know, it's not too long after they leave that the car crashes and it kills all three of them. The state trooper who arrived at the scene shared in his report that it was obvious that Jesse Belvin's car had been tampered with. That this was no car accident. It was rather intentional. This was straight up murder. Sadly, nobody was held responsible for this triple death incident. The date of death, May 20th, 1964. Rudy Lewis was a rhythm and blues singer. He moved to New York City at the age of 24, and he soon joined the Drifters. On May 21st, the band was supposed to record the song Under the Boardwalk, an important song for Lewis, but it was something he would never be able to record, as he was found dead in his Harlem hotel only the day before recording was supposed to take place. The following day after his untimely death, his band, The Drifters, would record a song dedicated to their fallen band member titled, I Don't Want to Go On Without You. An autopsy is never conducted, but it is believed that Lewis died from a drug overdose. The date of death, October 25th, 1964. Gospel singer Joe Henderson, often referred to as Mr. Voice, is 27 years old when he dies from a heart attack in his Nashville hotel room. The date of death, October 31st, 1968. The lead guitarist for Spanky and Our Gang, Malcolm Hale, is found dead in his Chicago home. He dies from carbon monoxide poisoning believed to be from a faulty heating system. He was the glue that held the group together and sadly 
after the death, they do break up the following year. Date of death, March 26, 1969. English singer Dickie Pride had a tough beginning at life. His father dies when he's only 15 years old. He takes on several different jobs to help support his family. One such job is working for a stonemason, which specialized in making gravestones. Get this, Dickie gets fired from this job due to his being too happy and singing at work. Oh boy, tough crowd. He becomes addicted to heroin, sadly, and is sent to a psychiatric ward where a lobotomy is performed on him. After the lobotomy, he is actually drug-free for an entire year, but later on he falls into his bad ways. He is found dead in his bed by his sister. Cause of death, accidental overdose from sleeping pills. Date of death, July 3rd, 1969. Brian Jones, he was the founder of Rolling Stones. He had a drinking problem and a bad drug problem at that. And because of this, he's screwing up left and right. And eventually the Stones, they are sick and tired of this bullshit, man. And they kick him out of the band that he created. Less than a month after leaving the Rolling Stones, he will be dead. He is found at the bottom of his swimming pool. The coroner states that the cause of death was drowning and death by misadventure. Jim Morrison writes this about Jones, titled Ode to L.A., Well Thinking of Brian Jones, and it reads this. I am a resident of a city. They've just picked me to play the Prince of Denmark. Poor Ophelia. All those ghosts he never saw floating to doom on an iron candle. Come back, brave warrior. Do the dive on another channel. Hot buttered pool. Where is Marrakesh? Under the falls, the wild storm where savages fell out in late afternoon. Monsters of rhythm, you've left your nothing to compete with silence. I hope you went out smiling like a child into the cool remnant of a dream. The angel man with serpents competing for his palms and fingers finally claimed this benevolent soul, Ophelia leaves, sodden in silk. Chlorine dream, mad stifled witness, the diving board, the plunge, the pool. You were a fighter, a damask, musky muse. You were the bleached sun for TV afternoon horned toads, maverick of a yellow spot. Look now to where it's got you, and meet heaven with the cannibals and Jews. The gardener found the body, rampant, floating, lucky stiff. What is this green pale stuff? You're made of poke holes in the goddess skin. Will he stink? Carried heavenward through the halls of music. No chance, requeen. For a heavy, that smile, that porky satyr's leer has leapt upward into the loam. Unquote. Okay, <laughs> that's interesting to say the least. Morrison wrote this in 1969. Brian Jones died July 3rd, 1969. 
Jim Morrison would die two years to the day on Brian's second year death anniversary. Brian Jones is buried at the Cheltenham Cemetery, 10 feet deep. So grave robbers would kind of back away, you know, thieves, grave robbers, trophy hunters, all those losers. Date of death, July 31st, 1969. Doris Traits, better known as Alexandra, was born in Lithuania. She was an international singer, languages including German, Hebrew, English, Russian, and French. I mean, that's damned impressive in my book. I know English and I could just do a little bit of Spanish. Te quito mucho cerveza? I know, loco in the cabeza. Anyways, in other words, impressive to me. Her very last song was released just three weeks before her untimely death. Of course, she had no clue this would be her last song. And on the 31st of July, Alexandra, her son Alexander, and her mother, they're driving when they collide with a truck. Alexandra, she's killed, and she dies instantly. Her mother dies due to her injuries later on in the hospital, and her son Thank the heavens, he only has minor injuries and he thankfully survives. Date of death, September 3rd, 1970. Alan Wilson, better known as Blind Owl, well, he was a blues musician. Not only was he a singer, but he played the hell, the hell, out of a harmonica and guitar. He unfortunately had been dealing with high anxiety and major, major depression for quite some time. Some people that were very close to Wilson claimed that he had attempted suicide in the past. As a child, he had dealt with sleep paralysis, and as an adult, he was suffering severely from insomnia. And sometime in 1970, he is hospitalized due to a suicidal attempt. And at some other time, he actually drives his car off the freeway intentionally and suffers a major head injury. And in the later part of 1970, his band, Canned Heat, well, they had arranged plans to leave for Germany to kickstart their European tour. They were super stoked about it. Fans were excited. Things were looking up for these guys. I can only imagine that Alan Wilson had not been this happy for quite some time. He misses the flight, but this was not the first time this would happen, so his bandmates didn't really think much of it. They're just kind of like, Oh gosh, Alan, come on, get your shit together. But the following day, September 3rd, Alan, he is found deceased in a sleeping bag behind his bandmate Bob Hyde's home. Bob, also known as the Bear, had put Wilson under his wing and was helping him during his toughest of times. I mean, I wish everybody had somebody like that to help them with their toughest of times, because everyone's worthy of that. The cause of death is accidental, acute, barbiturate, intoxication. Alan loved the wild, and it seemed so appropriate that his ashes be scattered throughout the beautiful Sequoia National Park. Date of death, September 18th, 1970. 
Before Jimi Hendrix was 20 years old, he had been busted at least two different times for being involved with stolen vehicles. A serious offense. And at this point, the young man was given an ultimatum. Either you go to prison for these crimes or your ass is joining the army. The latter seemed a bit more appealing and he joined the United States Army, enlisting on May 31st of 1961. In a letter he wrote to his dad, he writes, quote, I really need it now, unquote. This is in regards to his guitar. While away from home, you know, many people would miss their families. Well, Hendrix, he missed his guitar, and there was no secret about it. It felt foreign for them to be apart. He asks his dear dad, please send the guitar, and immediately, immediately. May 24th of 1962, just shy of a year of Hendrix enlisting, his platoon sergeant James Spears files a report saying this, He has no interest whatsoever in the army. It is my opinion that Private Hendrix will never come up to the standards required of a soldier. I feel that the military service will benefit if he is discharged as soon as possible. And a little over a month later, on June 29th, Hendrix is granted a general discharge under honorable conditions. And I don't know what he did or how he acted for the platoon sergeant to write this report out, but it's obvious that his heart was not in the army, but instead with the music. And one of Hendrix's shows in 1967, it ended in flames, literally. After performing several songs, he begins to tear pieces of his beloved guitar and throwing them into the excited and eager hands of his fans. He then proceeded to light well, the remains of the guitar on fire. Quote, I decided to destroy my guitar at the end of a song as a sacrifice. You sacrifice things that you love. And I love my guitar, unquote. September 17th, Hendrix finds himself in London, spending some much-needed time with his girlfriend, Monica. She shares that they spent the night together just talking the night away until it was morning, around 7 a.m. They decide to call it a night, or morning, should I say, and hit the bricks. Well, she wakes up at 11 a.m. to find him unconscious. She said at this time that he was still breathing. Around 20 minutes later, she calls for an ambulance. Monica would later admit that Hendrix took an alarming amount of sleeping pills that she had. The coroner reports that he choked on his own vomit and died of asphyxia while intoxicated with depressants. Horrible way to go, man. Date of death, October 4th, 1970. Janis Joplin was a beloved singer and musician who dies from a heroin overdose. Life wasn't always good for this young woman. She is severely bullied in school, and as a former bully victim myself, my heart truly goes out to this woman. And as a teen, she is unconfident. She's overweight and suffers from severe acne, which actually left her with deep scars, which required dermabrasion. She dies a little over two weeks after Jimi Hendrix, 16 days to be exact. Her ashes are scattered from a plane into the Pacific Ocean.
date of death, March 13, 1971. R. Lester Christian was part of the funk band Dyke and the Blazers. He was actually planning on touring England with the band, and he had an album project with Barry White, and it was a project that he was like super stoked about. Things come to a sudden halt, however, when the front man for the band is murdered, being shot in Phoenix, Arizona. Some believe his death was a result of a drug dealing gone wrong. Coroner's report shows no alcohol or narcotics in his system. However, a detective was quoted by a magazine saying this, Dyke was a drug addict and had so many tracks on his arms you couldn't believe it. Clarence Daniels, the shooter, gets off with a case of self-defense. Date of death, July 3rd, 1971. The Doors, they had just finished recording their final album, L.A. Woman. When Jim Morrison shares with the group that he wishes to travel and spend some much-needed time in Paris, and he does just that. He leaves in March where he settles in France with his girlfriend Pamela. Morrison would often write letters back home, talking about his time in Paris. He would describe how he enjoyed going on solo walks throughout the area. He begins to act a little bit on the strange side when he shaves his head from his beautiful hair and he starts losing a noticeable amount of weight. It's the day before the 4th of July. His girlfriend Pamela walks into the bathroom where she discovers Jim Morrison's body in the bathtub. And believe it or not, no autopsy is ever conducted, so the actual cause of death is unknown. There, of course, is guesses and opinions and speculation and rumors. Unfortunately, autopsies are not a requirement in France, or it wasn't back then, don't know if it is now, so the COD is just jotted down as heart failure. Many believe it to be a heroin overdose, but again, it's something that we'll never know for certain. His remains are buried in the largest cemetery in Paris, Pere Lachaise Cemetery, now, this is a cemetery that has forever been on my bucket list and will be on a future episode someday. Date of death, March 14th, 1972. Linda Jones was a soul singer. She falls in love with music at a very young age and actually begins singing at the age of six with her family gospel group. Things are going awesome. She actually had just completed a huge tour and had been performing at the Apollo. Now, the 27-year-old woman goes to her mother's house where she plans to rest in between the matinee and the night shows. She is in popular demand and her fans are eager to watch her perform again. But Gal needs some rest. During her nap, she falls into an unfortunate diabetic coma and she never wakes up. Date of death, May 3rd, 1972. Leslie Harvey was co-founder of Stone the Crows and one hell of a guitarist. Prior to Stone the Crows, he was part of the Blues Council. They only make one record when tragedy strikes. 
when one fateful day as the band is traveling in their tour bus and they crash. This claims two lives, Frazier Calder, the vocalist, and James Giffen, the bassist. After the double death, the surviving members call it quits and they just kind of go on their own paths. Leslie Harvey walks away from the tour bus crash. He is not so fortunate in 1972. Stone the Crows is at Swansea top rank. Harvey is up on stage. He touches a microphone. Something the man had done countless times. Like as if you're going to the bathroom or going to take out the trash. You know, it's just routine. Something you do. Well, he is suddenly electrocuted. It was not Earth. His other hand was holding his guitar strings. One of the roadies tries to help, but it's too late for the 27-year-old man. Date of death, March 8th, 1973. Ron McKernan was one of the founding members for Grateful Dead. His friends lovingly referred to him as Pigpen. Now, while in San Francisco, he runs into Jerry Garcia. The two men, both with a passion burning in their hearts for music, well, they bond quickly, and they become the dearest of friends. More like brothers, really. They perform music together when one day Pigpen suggests to Jerry, hey, we should form a band together. And that's how Grateful Dead was born. While Pigpen may have been surrounded by the stuff at times, he successfully manages to stay clear from drugs. While he said no to drugs, alcohol was his go-to vice. And by 1971, Ron was deep into alcoholism and he was severely ill, for he was suffering from liver damage. He is told by the doctors that he needed to, for his health, for his life, to stop touring with Grateful Dead. He stops for a short while, but he continues and picks back up with the band at the end of 1971. A few months later, he is so excruciatingly sick that he is forced to stop and for good. Touring had become too much for the young man, and at one point during one of his shows, he actually passes out in front of his organ. And sadly, not only does Pigpen stop touring, which I totally understand why he did it, he had to, I would have too, but he also suffers all ties with his friends and his bandmates. He said he did not want them around when he died. And I get that too, but being a friend, watching someone you care about deteriorate and want to be there for them, emotional support or whatever, you know, but they can't because, you know, they're being pushed away. That must have been rough too. So I I definitely see both ways. And at 27 years old, Ron McKernan dies due to a gastrointestinal hemorrhage. Jerry Garcia spoke at his friend's funeral saying this. After Pigpen's death, we all knew this was the end of the original Grateful Dead. Date of death, July 27th, 1973. Roger Lee Durham was a man of many talents. He really was. Not only was he this amazing musician, being part of the Kansas City band Bloodstone, he was also a veteran from the Vietnam War. He served with the Air Force as an airman. On one fateful day, the young rhythm and blues musician and veteran is riding his horse when he falls off. 
He sadly dies due to these injuries, and he is buried at Fort Leavenworth National Cemetery. Date of death, April 25, 1974. After the death of her boyfriend, Jim Morrison, Pamela, the one who found his body, she relocates from Paris to Los Angeles. Three years after Morrison's death, she too dies, also at age 27. Unlike Paris, with their no autopsy rule, Los Angeles definitely did conduct an autopsy, and there is no doubt in their minds the cause of death, heroin overdose. Date of death, August 12, 1974. Wallace Yawn joins the band Chase as their keyboardist, just as they were recording their fourth album, Disaster Strikes. A fatal plane crash that leaves no survivors, claiming the lives of Wally Yawn, John Emma, Bill Chase, the founder of Chase, trumpet player Walt Clark, a female passenger, and the pilot. An investigation into the crash is conducted, and they found the pilot was to blame. That and poor radio communication. Date of death, February 10th, 1975. Dave Alexander was the original bassist for the band The Stooges. In 1970, he is released from the band when he goes to a music festival and proves to be too intoxicated to even perform on the stage. He is admitted to the hospital for pancreatitis and dies due to pulmonary edema. Iggy Pop mentions Alexander in the intro to Dumb Dumb Boys, How About Dave, OD'd on Alcohol. Date of death, April 24th, 1975. Pete Ham, he was a songwriter, a guitarist, and he was the lead singer for Badfinger. As a younger lad in the early 60s, he formed a band called the Panthers. They eventually became the Ivies. With the brand new release of their song, their hit song, Come and Get It, they then become Badfinger. They performed throughout the United Kingdom and even gained the attention and the approval of the much-beloved Beatles. For years, things were going amazing. Life was terrific. Badfinger, they are in popular demand. They are swimming in success. That is, until 1975, when it comes to an unexpected stop, when Warner Brothers Records sues the band's business manager after an advance suddenly just vanishes into thin air. An album was coming up and it was rejected. It is clear that Badfinger, well, they're in hot water. Pete Ham is beyond desperate. He just bought a house in Surrey. The love of his life and him are expecting a baby. Things were exciting, but he definitely needed money. Badfinger tries to separate themselves from the now disgraceful business manager, and they try to get gigs at places that once welcomed them with open arms. In fact, they were ecstatic to have Badfinger, but no one wanted to touch that with a 10-foot pole thanks to Stan Pauly, who had extremely restrictive contracts with each band member. 
It made it damn near impossible, actually, to do anything at all. Pete Ham tried many times to call Stan, but he never would answer that phone or give him a phone call back. Now, on April 23, 1975, Pete Ham receives a devastating phone call from the United States. All the money they had? Well, it's now gone. Not one penny remains. He meets with fellow member Tom Evans, the bassist, where they drown their sorrows at the White Hart Pub. Witnesses see that Ham is inconsolable, really, and he's drinking at least 10 whiskeys, left and right, like it's water. Pete is dropped off back at home, a home that, let's be honest, he can't afford any longer. He sits down and pens a letter, quote, Anne, I love you. Blair, I love you. I will not be allowed to love or to trust everybody. This is better. Pete, P.S., Stamp Holly is a soulless bastard, and I will take him with me. Unquote. Pete Ham, lead singer for Badfinger, then proceeds to hang himself. His girlfriend gives birth to their child one month after his suicide. The following month after his suicide, Badfinger, they break up. And on a side note, Tom Evans, the gentleman, the bassist for Badfinger, who spent time with Pete Ham the last night of his life, he also will hang himself six or seven years after Pete Ham's death. You know, it's so sad. These guys, they were on cloud nine. They were happy. They were successful. People loved them. Some may think that the band Badfinger was actually cursed. Look what they went through. Suicides, a thieving and conniving and scandalous business manager. I think it's safe to say that things went downhill quickly once Stan Pauly got involved. Date of death, December 8th, 1975. Gary Thane joins Keep Hartley Band and they perform together at Woodstock in 1969. While on tour in the United States, Gary suffers an electric shock in Dallas, Texas. Due to this shocking event, no pun intended, he sadly loses the ability to properly play. I mean, music, like as many people that you're hearing in this episode, this is his life, music. He lives it, he bleeds it, he breathes it. He begins spiraling downhill. He is soon battling with drugs and cannot function properly. Soon, he is let go from the band. He is found one December day in his London flat unresponsive. Cause of death? Heroin overdose. Date of death, August 2nd, 1976. Cecilia was born in Spain, and it is here that she would also die. Music was her passion, her life, and she starts her musical fascination at a very young age. She is happy with how things are going. She's a singer. She's a songwriter. People love her. She travels and performs quite often in Puerto Rico, Colombia, and Venezuela. Well, late one night after completing a concert, her and the band are en route back to Madrid, they are involved in an accident that takes the 27-year-old woman's life, along with fellow musician Carlos de la Iglesia. Cecilia is buried in Cementerio de la Almudena, which happens to be the largest burial ground in Madrid and considered one of the largest in Western Europe. 
Around 5 million people rest here eternally. Date of death, May 3rd, 1977. Helmut Kolin was a German guitar and bass player for the band Trivium Virate, which only consisted of bass, drums, and keyboards. He and his guitar joined the band, replacing Hans George Pop. Two years before his untimely death, he decides to part ways with his band and go solo. One fateful day in May, his body is found in his garage. Apparently, he had gone into the garage and into the car to listen to some of his studio tracks. The cause of death, no shocker here, is an unfortunate case of carbon monoxide poisoning. And I'm not completely sure if this was indeed an accident or if he planned to take his life and it was a suicide. His debut solo album titled You Won't See Me is released after his death. Date of death, December 27th, 1978. Chris Bell was a man of many talents. He was a songwriter, a singer, and a guitarist. And it's just a couple of days after Christmas. It is late at night, and he had just finished rehearsing with his band. He jumps into his sports car and goes for one final ride. Unfortunately, he loses control and slams right into a light pole. Due to impact, the pole comes loose and falls right on top of him. Death? Well, it's instantaneous. He is buried the following day. Date of death, March 23, 1980. Jacob Miller was the lead singer for reggae band Inner Circle. He was really good friends with Bob Marley and even traveled with him to Brazil. In fact, the time of his untimely death, Jacob and the Inner Circle were getting ready to go on an American tour with Bob Marley and the Whalers. One Sunday will be his last when he is killed in a car accident while traveling on Hope Road in Kingston, Jamaica. A well-known Jamaica singer has died. He is reggae star Jacob Miller. He died in a car accident on Sunday, 23rd of March. Jacob Miller was the lead singer with the Inner Circle Band. Some of his recorded songs with the group include Dread Can't Live in a Tenement, Yard, Everything is Great, and Delilah. Jacob Miller is one of the fattest Jamaican singers. However, he was well known for jumping about on the stage. Date of death, December 22nd, 1985. Dennis Boone, better known as D. Boone, was a punk rocker in the band Minutemen. He dies just days before Christmas. The band was traveling on Interstate 10 while in the Arizona desert tragedy strikes. Boone was sick. He had a fever and he was laying down in the back of the van to try to sleep his illness away. Been there, done that. Everything is going fine until the rear axle suddenly breaks. This causes the van to veer off, lose control, and go off the road. Because he was laying down, sleeping, and not wearing his seatbelt, the unsuspecting young man is thrown out the van's back door, and he dies instantly when his neck is broken. The band, well, they break up due to that death. 
date of death, February 17, 1988. Alexander Bashlikev was a man of many talents. He was a rocker, he was a poet, a songwriter, a singer, and he was a guitarist. He was born in the Soviet Union. Life was good long ago, but he starts to struggle with writer's block. The songwriter was deeply disappointed in himself and not being able to produce or write new songs, and he basically straight up refuses to perform any of his old songs, much to his fans' dismay, I'm sure. Now, Alexander, he is now battling with severe depression. His girlfriend is pregnant with their child, and it should be a happy time, but not being able to produce any new songs, his livelihood is up in the air. The future? Well, it's definitely uncertain. He falls to his death from nine stories up in an apartment building. It is truly unknown whether he committed suicide or if he accidentally fell out of the window. But seeing that you really kind of have to go out of your way to fall out of an apartment window and he was dealing with depression, many people believe that it was indeed a suicide. You guys, please be sure to stop by next week where part two of the 27 Club continues. This week's special city shoutouts go to Kitchener, Canada, Royal Leamington Spa, England, Converse, Texas, Coto de Casa, California, and Harvey, Illinois. As always, I truly appreciate every single one of you for spending time with me and listening to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They're all phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to fret. You could hit up any of those awesome podcast platforms such as CastBox, Podcast Republic, Spotify, Downcast, Apple Podcasts, basically wherever you may roam to listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Brothers Podcasts lurking in the background. Do you have a spine-tingling encounter of your own that you'd like to share? Perhaps you have a spooky idea for an episode. Maybe you would like to be a voiceover in a future episode. Feel free to reach out to me at paraprowl at gmail.com or you can find me on the Paranormal Prowlers Podcast Facebook page or Paraprowl on Twitter. Thank you and we will see you next week for 27 Club Curse Part 2.